Our scripture reading this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65. And I'll be reading the first 16 verses. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh, and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord. Because they made offerings on the mountains, they insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is blessing in it. So I will do for my servant's sake, and will not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains, My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for their flocks, and the valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down, for my people who have sought me. But for you who forsake the Lord, forget my holy mountain, who set a table before fortune, and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter, because when I called... You did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Therefore, says the Lord God, behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for breaking of spirit. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse, and the Lord God will put you to death, but his servants he will call by another name, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. Now open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 13.
Matthew 13, and if you have a bookmark of some sort, you can also mark Acts chapter 2. Matthew 13 and Acts chapter 2. Last week, as I was tucking my youngest daughter into bed, she had an epiphany, a realization. Her mind would be wandering throughout the day as she had overheard conversations between mom and dad, and she came to realize that her dad's job as a firefighter could be potentially dangerous. Daddy, she said as I pulled her blanket over her, I want you to quit your job. I guess it's just that simple. I should go find another one. It seemed lost on her that it took quite a lot of time and money and energy and schooling to get my job, and that it's a job that I enjoy doing. It also didn't seem to weigh in that my work is how we can afford to put a roof over our heads or buy food. Now, I love my kids, and I would do almost anything for them as it pertains to the necessities of life. I even like being able to answer the simpler requests, like playing Minecraft with them or taking them to Tim Hortons. But to show up at the fire hall and tell them I quit, this is an unanswerable request. And there are some requests that even if they could happen, just cost too much or go against sound reason. And as we look at God's word this morning, we're going to find that Jesus makes a request from the Father that from every logical angle cannot be answered. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we'd be able to perceive and understand your word. And we pray that you would bless it to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, if you'll recall, we looked at the parable of the sower, namely the hard path, and that the parable of the sower is not actually about the sower. The imagery of the sower is representative of many who have put forth the gospel message, but this parable is not positioned on the sower. The focus of this parable is also not on the seed that was thrown. The seed of the good news of Jesus dying for our sins and rising again falls in many places and on many ears, yet this parable is not primarily about the seed of the gospel. The parable of the sower, when it comes down to it, is about the condition of the hearts of men when they hear the good news of Jesus. And last week, we focused on the seed that fell on the hard path. 
This morning, I would like to carry on with that same theme of the hard heart because so much of this passage is centered around it. But before I begin, there are some things that must be understood before we hear the unanswerable request that Jesus will make. There are some things that we need to make clear before the rest of the narrative can make sense. Such as the case for Charles Dickens in his fictional classic, A Christmas Carol, when he wrote, There can be no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. And so, what I need to impress upon you this morning is the severity and the finality of the judgment placed on the hard heart. I need you to see in this passage that those who willfully and intentionally reject Christ have their path in eternity made sure. We heard this from the scripture reading a minute ago in Isaiah 65. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword. And all of you shall bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. Jesus will repeat this judgment to the hard heart in Matthew 13, pick up in verse 10. Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because in seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, that it says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus will declare that this prophecy of Isaiah, spoken some 700 years earlier, is now fulfilled. They have heard God's word straight from the Son of God himself, They have seen powerful miracles, but they can barely hear and have closed their eyes. Up until now, the crowds that have been following Jesus either can't or won't see past the physical. And even the disciples are struggling through this. Uh, Last week we saw this when the disciples only brought one loaf of bread into the boat. And... and, uh, And their concern is all about having enough food. And when Jesus brings up the topic of beware the leaven of the Pharisees, their thoughts immediately go back to the bread. Jesus could have sank that boat with bread. It's not about the bread. It's not about the physical, but about salvation. But the hard heart is unable to get the message. 
And now we here in Lambton County are reminded that Jesus could give us a new government or right the economy or bring peace about in Asia in the twinkling of an eye if he wanted to. But his mission even now is not about our earthly problems, but redeeming the lost and spreading the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And so the parables, which are little more than a metaphor, are a filter for those who don't want to know. And the crowds really don't want to know. No matter how many miracles, no matter how many people Jesus healed or demons cast out to authenticate that he was indeed the Messiah, they would not believe. In John 6, right after he fed the 5,000, instead of seeing a power that could only come from above, they desired to make Jesus an earthly king. Even after all this proof of power and miracles, the crowds ask, what then do you do for a sign that we should believe you? There is just no teaching the hard heart. John MacArthur states that this revelation in Matthew 13 is now a turning point in Christ's ministry and that from now on, Jesus will no longer speak plainly. From now on, Jesus will only speak in parables and never again explain the meaning to the crowds. For the crowd then, Jesus speaking in parables has become a permanent judgment. Isaiah's prophecy in the Gospel of John reads like this, so that the word spoken of the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? Therefore they could not believe. Their fate is sealed. There is no hope. It's too late for comprehension. It's too late for forgiveness. They have made up their minds. And as we saw last week, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. I'm sure we here this morning know of people like this. Whether they're co-workers or family. And that whenever the subject of the Lord comes up, they switch off. Their gaze drifts and the conversation gets awkward. No matter how gently the topic of Jesus is brought up, they want nothing to do with it. Others get loud when they hear the gospel, and an unfruitful debate begins to arise, and our sharing is over as quickly as it began. It's all part of the prophecy. It would seem that the crowds following Jesus couldn't fall any deeper into their fate, but they do. The crowds who heard Jesus firsthand, who willfully do not understand the parables, cannot bear with the parable giver any longer and call for his death. Their hard path hearts along with their demonic counterparts, will seek to put an end to this Jesus once and for all. 
And not only does the prophecy of Isaiah seal them off, they proceed to destroy their one and only advocate on the cross. The only one who could save them, they put him to death and they mock him. While crucifying Jesus, the Gospel of Luke says that the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others! Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Psalm 22 gives us insight into Christ's prayer in this moment. I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. The king of glory is dying helplessly at the hands of those who don't want anything to do with him. But then something happens. Something happens that shakes the foundations of the earth. Jesus prays. It's a simple prayer. Father, forgive them. What is happening here? These people are so obstinate, they are stubborn, they are defiant, rejecting Jesus, and now in the process of delivering Jesus over to death on a cross, and Jesus asked the Father to forgive them? The first problem with this totally unexpected prayer request is that it is impossible to answer, as God the Father does not and will not forgive people against their will. If God just forgave everyone, even if they didn't want it, there would be no justice, let alone completely disarm the doctrine of hell. Father, forgive them? What about the prophecy? What about their hard hearts? What about perceiving they do not perceive, hearing they do not hear? Does all that just go away? What a stunning request. But the request gets even more perplexing. Not only does Jesus desire for the Father to forgive the crowds who are sovereignly sealed for judgment, the second half of this simple prayer only serves to highlight the sin of the people who are afflicting him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The people, even now as they crucify Jesus, still don't get it. They can't see their sin. They can't see past the physical. And now they can't see what it is they're doing in crucifying the Lord of glory. Now God the Father 
loves his son in a depth not understood by men. But the riddle remains. What can God do as he will not forgive those who do not want it? How can he answer this prayer? How can a people who still won't accept salvation on God's terms be redeemed? This is an unanswerable request. But then, God the Father, who loves his Son and hears his prayers, answers the prayer. For there it is yet another prophecy. This one, too, is found in Isaiah, Isaiah 55, which says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Then there is a phrase that is added to this passage that is directed towards you and I even now. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Turn to Acts chapter 2. In this book of Acts, we see the thoughts and the ways of God swing into full action. God cannot and will not forgive the heart of those who don't want it. So God, in his sovereignty, simply, yet powerfully, changes their hearts. And the unanswerable request is answered. The impossible is made possible. Shortly after Jesus ascends into heaven, the Father sends the Holy Spirit, and through the preaching of the word, cuts right to the core of men. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Apostle Peter, an untrained fisherman, preaches the word to the hardened crowd, and the Spirit of God moves through him, and the people are struck to the heart. Follow along in Acts 2 as I read. And we'll start at verse 22. And here is Peter's sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There is no denying who this crowd is to whom Peter is preaching and what they have done. Now verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having perceived from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he, made, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And now listen to the response of those who had eyes yet did not see, ears who did not hear. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. No way. It's impossible. They are destined for judgment. They refused Jesus. They couldn't see past the physical. They blocked out the message. Their hearts were the hard path. And the demonic birds of prey picked off the exposed seed of the gospel. But Jesus prayed. And now, through the power of God's word and the Holy Spirit, their hardness has been cracked, and they have been cut to the heart, and they respond. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And the response is simple in verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. The narrative would go on to say, those who received his words were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Again, the apostles preached the crowds in Acts 4, but many of those who heard the word believed and to the number of men came to about 5,000. Within a month of Christ's prayer on the cross, Tens of thousands who were destined for hell are being forgiven and saved from the kingdom of darkness. I would have loved to have seen the faces of those in the unseen realm. Angels in bewildered rejoicing. Demons grinding their teeth. What just happened here? They were sealed for judgment. They were lost in darkness. Their hearts were hardened. We sunk our claws into their souls. Yet Jesus prayed. This is the power of prayer. This is the power of being able to access the throne room of the almighty God. Prayer in and of itself is an acknowledgement of our own inability, our own helplessness, and even just the act of prayer is a profound indicator that we cannot make it on our own. Prayer is also a way to bring the Lord in. In all your ways, says Proverbs, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Bring the Lord into it. Bring the Lord into your life decisions, your goals, your desires, and he will direct your path. Some have also said that prayer isn't so much bending God's will, but breaking our own. This is certainly true. 
Prayer can and often is a time of letting God do a work in our lives, even more so than the answers we are seeking sometimes. And while these are all true, that it is an acknowledgement of our weakness, that prayer is a way to bring the Lord in and show deference, that prayer is a tool for the Lord to bend our will and submission, prayer is also highly effective in moving the hand of God. Do you believe that? James would say that the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. The Greek word for great power has a clear meaning, and its common biblical usage is also rendered to be strong, to be a force, to overcome. Not only is prayer an effective, strong, and powerful mover, should our words be simple or our faith small. The scripture says that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are interceding on our behalf. And thank the Lord for that. What a power. What an encouragement to remember that even when our prayer is faltering or we don't have the words, the one we are praying to is a God who made the universe and all created things. Time and space are in his hands. The hearts of kings and the souls of men are in his will, and somehow, in some great mystery, God is pleased to work through the weakness of his children through our prayers. James would then give the example of Elijah to those who aren't so sure about the power we have in prayer. Elijah, James says, was a man with a nature like ours, or literally passions or feelings like ours, a human being with warts and doubts and troubles, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. What if God's not willing to save my loved one or the unregenerate? 1 Peter 3 tells us that it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's always after God's own heart to pray for the unrighteous. And some of you may have given up I know many of us here this morning have loved ones who want nothing to do with the good news of Jesus. They are the hard path heart doomed to judgment. They seem to shut down or they get worked up whenever we bring up the Lord, so we've quit and resigned. Some of us have siblings who don't know the Lord. Others have parents or a son or a daughter who seems unreasonable. We can pray.
I'm going to invite Peter Wilbstra and Peter Robinson to come up now. And just like my daughter the other night, there are some requests of God that we make that are not all that informed or just don't make sense. Some requests might even be selfish, and we later find ourselves thanking the Lord that he didn't answer them. But don't let this sidetrack you. Don't stop praying. For some of us this morning, we already have someone in mind. A family member, a loved one whose heart is hard. We've tried witnessing and reasoning with them, but they are willful. So let me close with this. The Lord God is completely unwilling to diminish his holiness or his law. Our God is also unwilling to lessen his justice and turn a blind eye to sin. God is not willing to change himself. This is an unanswerable request. But our God is willing to change the hearts of men. And I've asked a couple of our brothers in the Lord to come up and lead us in a congregational prayer of sorts to pray for those whom we love yet have hardened their hearts. And we can pray like it says in Isaiah, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And as these two men lead us, pray with them as they pray for those who are on our hearts. I know that uh, we, uh, we all have loved ones that we're going to pray for this morning. So if you are thinking of them, um, just uh, bow your head and um, let us pray before the Lord. Let us seek him and uh, ask him for the salvation of those that we love. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we know the power of prayer, and yet oftentimes we do not seek you as we ought. Lord, we know that whatever we ask of you, you will do it. We know that Jesus died on the cross for the salvation of all those that he has chosen. Lord, we know the power of your Holy Spirit. We have, many of us, experienced the power of the Holy Spirit as he drew us to you. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be working in those of our loved ones, uh, those that we mingle with, neighbors, coworkers. Lord, that you would open the eyes of the blind, that even today, that your spirit would be working and moving and would be changing lives. Lord, give us the faith to believe 
that you will change those hearts that have been cold for years, that have rejected and fallen away, that have struggled with um, sin issues that have kept them from truly following you. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be moving and working in their lives, that we would be able to rejoice in the glory of our Lord and Savior as he works and saves those of our loved ones, we pray in your name. Amen. Father, in your word you tell us to pray in the Spirit at all times with every kind of prayer and petition. And so we pray this morning for all the unsaved around us. We pray for those we know personally. And you know how they weigh on our hearts as moms and dads and siblings that we would pray, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We thank you that you are a seeking God and that your mercy continues even today. We pray for the unsaved around us that they might seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. We pray to you, the all-powerful one who made our eyes to see and gave us hearts of flesh and ask that you give the power to let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. We also confess, Father, the depth of the riches of your wisdom and knowledge. We confess your unsearchable judgments, your untraceable ways. We do not know your mind or understand your ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And Father, ultimately, we believe and we confess that your word that goes out from your mouth will not return to you empty, but will accomplish what you desire. And we praise you and we thank you in this. Father, may your word cut to the heart. May your spirit work powerfully. May all praise and glory go to you as your will is accomplished. You know our hearts, and we pray this this morning, for today, for this week. May we remember those around us who need you. We lay them before you, and we pray that you would work powerfully. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.